0: Last reading today is taken from uh, Luke in chapter 9, and we're going to read from verses um, 18 down to verse 27. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, What
1: we said so far, um, in order to understand who, uh, who we are, um, we, we need to yeah, understand foundational to who we are um, is, is the, these three words I've suggested that we are created. First of all, um, that, that we, we weren't created neutral. We have a creator and he created us to worship. He, he made us that way. That we were to have him as the center of our lives, the one around whom everything else would spin. And when he is in that place, when he is in the most significant place, when our hearts are taken up with him and they worship him, when he is is right there in the center, life kind of spins in the way that it should. Our orbit is correct. But what we've seen is that um, sin distorts that. Sin sees God move, our hearts he moves from the center of our life and we place other things in the place where only he should be. And what begins to happen then is we, we lose a sense of who we are. We lose When we break with him, we lose a sense of who we are. The relationships around us are a relationship with the world in which God has made us in generally. And uh, the, the Bible's word for when we replace him at the center and when we move other things to the center is, is idolatry. And we've seen that every single one of us worships. If that's the way that God made us, even if God isn't at the center, then something else will be. Something else in that position of glory we will exchange. God from that place and move other things into that place as well. And, and the tragic thing about that is that not only does it make God angry, um, we're going to see that there's a problem. We, as we've seen, there's a problem with ourselves too. Those things, anything else that's placed in God's position will always end up failing us. So it will always end up laying us down. Hearts were made for him to be at the center. Now I said that all sounds pretty hopeless, but there is this last session. And this last session, this is the third thing that you need to understand to really get a sense of your identity, is that you are a person in need of rescue. Or if you already are a Christian, you need to understand that you have been rescued. Now, I think we, our hearts resist something like that because it sounds very passive, doesn't it? You know, none of us, none of us you know, we're proud people. None of us likes to admit the fact that there is an issue. None of us likes to say that we need some kind of help from outside. And yet, at the center of, of our identity... <clears throat> there needs to be the sense of, of recognition of the place that we're in and of the fact that we need to be rescued from this. You see, if what we've been saying is true, then we need to be rescued in two different ways. We, we need to be rescued from ourselves. This, this sounds a strange thing to say. But, but what I mean by that is because, because of sin, it means we are constantly making the wrong choices. Our hearts are constantly taken up with those things, as we saw earlier, that enslave us. There's, there's a very real sense in which our biggest enemy is ourselves, the enemy within. You know, that sin which dwells deep within the, the center of every one of us. We need to be rescued from ourselves, which is why you will never find the answer to who you are by only looking within. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll debunk that myth a little bit more later on. But if some of you are thinking, all I need to go away from here is to look more in myself to find the answers, then it's going to be pretty barren and desperate. And yet that's the message that you would hear all the time. If you look deep inside yourself, this, this is the gospel according to Oprah, You know that if you look deep enough with inside any one of us, there's the resources to discover who you really are. Okay, seriously, if I spend all my time looking inside myself, I get the most depressed man in the world. You know, because I know what it's like in here. You don't. You, have, you have, may have some sense, those who know me better have a better sense of the stuff that's in here. But if I constantly spend time looking in here, I'm never going to get a true sense of who I am. I, because because I, there's not the resources to rescue myself. It's like a drowning man, you shout from the side, just rescue yourself. Point is, I'm drowning, I need rescuing. Okay? Inter- looking internally will never work. So we need saving from ourselves, but we also need saving from the anger of God. And again, I strike that note again because you need to see we're not in a neutral place. You know, We can't just say, well, well, you know, maybe I can think about this at some other point. We make a choice to replace God at the center, and that kindles the anger of God. Our sin makes God angry. And therefore, we need to be rescued from God's anger at our sin. He has a right to be angry at our sin. He's the creator. We're not living as those people who, who live within his world. He has the, the right to be angry. So we need rescue. So what in the world do we do? What in the world do we do about this? Let me give you the wrong answer first. The worst thing that any one of us could do in order to, to, to kind of address this problem is to become religious people. Okay, religion will not save you, will not save you from this problem. L- let me explain what I mean. I, I know the danger. The danger is you, you come away from something like this and you think, do you know what? I'm going to try a bit harder. So I'm going to do. So tomorrow morning will be a good morning for Bible readings. <laughs> I'm just, it, I know it will. Okay, because you'll be up. Yes, let's go. <laughs> we're going to do this. And it's another good it's Sunday tomorrow, so you think, yes, action right? Church, maybe twice if there's two services, and it's going to be a good week. We're going to start, yes, this is, we're going we're to do this. And, um, and in other words, you start doing things to begin to try and win God's favor. You start doing things to begin to get to the place where you think God will approve of what you're doing. So you do all of those things that you know that you should. But do you see the problem with that? See, the problem with religion is that your heart is still doing the same as it always has done. Think about it with me. The problem is that your heart is still building on something other than God. You're still looking to yourself. You're still looking to the things that you can do to make you right. You're still looking at the things that you do to give you a sense of what you are, of who you are. It's exactly the same position. Now you might end up doing better things than if if if, if something else was at the centre, but the problem is still the same. You're still trying to get a sense of who you are to make everything right by living as if God, by living without God at the centre. Religion is still a problem. There's um there's this bit in the first uh, the first Harry Potter film. Um, believe me, uh, you know when uh, when when your wife is ten days over, you, you look box sets are a, a gift from God. Um, so you know we've kind of been doing some box set, watching some box sets. And uh, to kind of prepare for, for the final release of the last Harry Potter film, I am so sad, I can't believe I'm telling you this. Um, and, no, someone else was telling me uh, that they were watching them all the other day. And, uh, um, but anyway, in the first Harry Potter film, The Philosopher's Stone, um, there's, uh, there's the, the kind of the, the climactic point of the book in the film. Um, that To find this Philosopher's Stone, they have to go through three challenges. I don't know if you've seen this, if you remember this. And there's, like the, there's the chess bit, there's a the bit with the flying keys... Um, but there's this, there's this one bit where they, they fall into um, this kind of massive plant. It's like these, uh, this ivy or, or something like that. It's got a name, but I forget the name because I'm not that much of a Harry Potter nerd. Um, but the thing is, the thing with this plant is, is that they kind of, it starts to constrict uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And, uh, and they, the more they struggle, the tighter the grip of the plant gets. I don't know have you've have you seen this. And they struggle and they struggle and they struggle until eventually it begins to constrict them. Um, and, uh, and and it's religion. Religion is exactly like that. You see, in religion, when you get in religion, it's like the harder you, tr- the more you try and do things, the more you realize you're being constricted, the more you realize you're crushed, the more you realize that instead of bringing you the freedom that you want, it's actually it's constricting you closer and tighter and tighter. The greater the struggle gets, then then, then the worse it becomes. Now, now the way, The thing is with this plan, it was as it was as you relinquish. It was as you realize you can do nothing to save yourself that the grip of the plant can release and that you're actually free to then pursue. Now what happens with religion? It's only when you realize that you are powerless to save yourself. It's only when you realize you can't do this on your own. It isn't about your efforts. It's about something that God can do that you can be released from the constraints. You can be released from being trapped like that. And, and, and therefore religion is not the answer that I want any of you to go away. I, I don't want you to, to leave becoming more moral I don't want you to leave becoming the kind of people who are just doing things to give you a sense of what's right, to give you a sense of who you are. Religion is not the answer. The real answer, the real place that you will find an identity is by by understanding your gospel identity. By understanding your identity as it's found in Jesus. You see, right from the start, do you remember in Genesis 3 back in the second session when we looked at how we fell? When we looked at how sin entered this world. Right back from Genesis 3, this is the remarkable thing. God promised a provision, He promised a rescuer. And immediately after our, 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 our kind of forefathers, Adam and Eve, immediately after they'd rejected Him, immediately after their hearts had turned against Him, God, in His incredible grace, says, Let me tell you how I'm going to save you. Let me tell you about the rescuer. And he promises one who would come and who would crush the head of the serpent. He promises one who would come and who would vanquish sin. Who would arrive as a rescuer. And the rest of the Bible is a story. A story about how this one was coming. And then how this one comes. And then how the people walking in great darkness would finally see a light. The whole way through the Old Testament you get promise after promise you get people straining, looking for the one who would come to rescue people from their sins. Looking for the one who would come to restore. Looking for the one who would come to rescue. Until finally, you get Jesus. And as Jesus comes, he sees his ministry in light of him being one who comes to bring salvation. Look, you know, if you see Jesus as just being, you know, another good guy, someone who who comes to bring some kind of teaching, who just comes to refine what God has to say to us, you haven't understood who Jesus really says he was. Jesus says, I have come. I have come as the one promised from God. And Jesus arrives onto the scene and he uses all of these terms that the Old Testament had promised. He says, he says, I am the one. I have come from the side of my father and I've come as the rescuer. I've come to bring salvation. I've come as the one who will bring light in the midst of darkness. Jesus sees himself as the rescuer. He sees himself as the one who will come to rescue us from the position of sin that we're in. Now here's the question. How how can Jesus rescue us? How is it that that can happen? You know, how is it that if we're in this place where other things have taken, taken the place of God, how can Jesus save us? How can he rescue us from this? Now, honestly, I would love, already as it is, I'm thinking, how, how am I going to communicate the rest of the stuff that I want to say in this session? We could spend so much time here, but time, time permits me from, from, kind of, from getting right into this stuff. So let me summarize it like this. The way that Jesus says he will come and rescue, the way that God will rescue his people is by death on a cross. Jesus comes and he says, the only way, the only way for you to be free, the only way for you to be released from the chains of sin, from your cage, is if, if I die. If I go to the cross and die. Now I know, some of, some of you are sitting there and go, yeah, we knew that would be the answer. We knew eventually Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we know that. But listen, listen. Listen how, this, listen how this applies to what we're talking about today. See, when Jesus goes to the cross, do you know what would happen? On the cross, literally, Jesus would lose his identity. He would lose who he was. Isaiah. Isaiah would write that he would be so beaten, he would be so abused, that on the cross, people would barely know who he was. And as you see Jesus go to the cross, do you know what you see? You see him dealing with every part of who we are. All the brokenness, all the shatteredness. Everything that we've looked at, we see Jesus take on the cross. Let let, let me explain. Do you remember? Do you remember that that what caused us to lose a sense of who we are? It was when we lost a sense of who God was. Remember that? That's the first thing that goes wrong with sin. You know, on the cross, Jesus, in a greater way than we would ever know, in a greater way than we would ever know, loses the presence of God. He loses the presence of God of his father as he hangs there on the cross. The, the, way, that, the way that I often describe this is, um, you see, for Jesus to lose the sense of who his father was, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For us to really understand what Jesus means, is, it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible for us to be there. Because Jesus, you see, was the one who'd been at his father's side forever. Jesus had enjoyed perfect unity with his father forever. Right from the beginning, there was infinite, unending, eternal joy that flowed between father and son and spirit. And here's what you have. Jesus come down to earth and on the cross he says, my God, my God, father, where are you? As Jesus hangs there on the cross, he loses the presence of his Father. See, if, if after this conference, you know, if one of you comes up and says to me, if, if you come up and say, you know, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. You know, I, I, wish, I wish you stayed in bed, quite frankly, because, you know, I, I disagree with everything you say. I reject, I don't, I don't want to speak to you ever again. Here's the reality, I, I don't want that to happen particularly, but I, I don't want to offend any one of you, but that's not going to ruin my world. I'm still going to drive back home and I'm going to be okay. Now what happens if, imagine if Hannah was sitting here, my wife. Imagine if if she walks out the door, she says, you know what? That was the worst thing you ever could have said to me. I never want to speak to you again. I'm never going to speak to you again. I'm through with speaking to you. The pain pain is infinitely greater. Why? Because I love her infinitely more than I love any of you. Imagine what it was like for Jesus, the son on the cross to lose the presence of his father the one that he had been infinitely close to and why does he do it he does it because our sin has meant we've lost the relationship with god jesus takes it on himself and on the cross he takes he takes the dislocation he takes he takes the way that we've been separated from the father do you remember also That we saw what sin did to us. It alienated us from God and from the world. And on the cross, where would Jesus hang? He would hang completely alienated. Not only from his father, but from every single person on earth. He He was rejected. He was despised by all people. Jesus on the cross would be completely alienated. Why? So we could be put right with God. Do you remember what we saw? Our sin made us. It made us slaves. We became enslaved to the things that we would free us. What what happens on the cross? Jesus becomes the ultimate slave. Jesus takes all of the chains that should have been mine. And freely, Jesus says, before he goes to the cross, he says, nobody can take my life from me. Not a single person, not a corrupt Roman governor, not a whole barrage, a legion of soldiers. Nobody can take my life from me unless I lay it down. And here's what you understand later in the New Testament. That Jesus leaves everything that was rightfully his. And he becomes willingly a slave. Why? So we may know freedom. Jesus enslaves himself on the cross. He takes our sin so that we may become free. Remember that word shalom? That sense of everything being knitted together. Everything being right. What do you see on the cross? You see Jesus being unmade. You see Jesus come unraveled. You see physically that happen. You see spiritually. You see emotionally. You see a man coming undone on the cross. Why? So we may know that ultimate restoration that knowing God can bring. Jesus takes it on the cross so that we may become free again. We may become complete again. Do you remember we talked about the fact that sin brings shame? Do you know how Jesus hangs on the cross? He hangs on the cross naked. In that culture, the greatest sign of shame there could be. He hangs naked on a tree. In Jewish culture, the greatest symbol of shame there could be. He goes to a cross. In Roman culture, the greatest symbol of shame there could be. And in darkness, in shame, he dies on the cross. Why does he do that? So the shame of my sin can be dealt with. So the shame of your sin can be dealt with. Jesus on the cross takes all of my shame upon himself. So that I may know, I may know my shame dealt with. Do you remember that we've said the way, the thing that we were... The thing we were made to know was the smile, the pleasure, the joy of God on our souls. And yet what do we face? We face his frown, his anger. What would Jesus face on the cross? He would face in the greatest way that anybody ever could. He would face the anger of God. All of the built up righteous anger of God against my sin and my rebellion against my idolatry, Jesus would take. Why would he take the frown of the Father? He would take the frown of the Father so that I may receive his smile, so that I may receive his pleasure, so that I may receive his joy, so that he was, Jesus was rejected, so that I may become accepted. Do you see how on the cross, Jesus deals with all of the effects of sin, with everything that sin had done to destroy who we are in relation to God, in relation to ourselves, in relation to one another. Jesus takes on the cross. So when I say, It's about Jesus on the cross and you say, yeah, 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 I know that. Do you really? Do you really know what happens on the cross? Do you remember we've described sin in terms of an exchange? We exchange God, the creator. We exchange him and we worship lesser things. Do you know what that exchange would take? To reverse the effects of that exchange, do you know what it would take? It would take a greater exchange. It would take an exchange that was infinitely more powerful. And that's exactly what the Bible speaks of. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, let me read this to you. We read of the greatest exchange that there's ever been. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the greatest exchange that is the greater exchange which deals with, the, it deals with the problem of the first. See, Jesus, the only thing, the only thing big enough to deal with us replacing God with lesser things was Jesus going to the cross and saying, I will exchange myself, me, the perfect son of God. I will exchange my perfect life for their sin. And I will go to the cross and I will deal with all of the consequences. I will take it all upon myself. And as I die there on the cross, I will take, Father, I will take your anger against their sin. I will take all of the slavery. I will take all of the effects. I will take what their sin deserved. And in in return, in return, I will give them my righteousness. I will give them my goodness. I will give them my perfection. That, That people is the greatest exchange that there's ever been. And that is the core for any one of us understanding who we are. That is the core for any one of us understanding who we are in relation to God and in relation to ourselves. The great exchange. Only as a son of God can Jesus do that. Only as he comes down can he deal with the way we've wronged God, the way that we've abandoned God, the way that we've rejected God. How How is it then that that can make sense of who you are? How is it that that can make sense of who you are, of your identity? Because look, as Jesus rescues you, as Jesus rescues any one of us, you can know the God that you were made to know. Jesus Jesus says, I've come that you may know the Father. I have come that you may be restored to that place where you know him as your creator. You don't just know him as a distant God, you know him as your Father. You know him in the way that you were made to know him. And as you come to Jesus, your sin is dealt with. And in Jesus, God is restored to the center. It's the only way he can go there again. It's the only way he can be restored in the place in which he should be. To take the the, the greatest place, the weightiest place. And as he is restored, gravity comes back. Gravity comes back. Life can begin to shape up to what it was meant to be. As you live in relation to God, things begin to work themselves out again. We can finally get a real concrete sense of who we are. We stop building our sense of, 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 of kind of who am I, stop building our sense of being worth something on other lesser things, and instead we build this on him. Let me, do you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to work this out in so many different practical ways so I can show you. Let me give you a few examples. Just to bring this right, I want to earth this as much as I can. We've talked about this because I think this is a real issue for some of you. If you've been, what if you've been building your life on achievement at school, o- on getting the right grades to get in the right place? What if you're at university and you, you, you're seeking to build your identity on that? I've had a number of conversations today. I know this is real for some of you. And what if that's become the centre, the thing which gives you meaning? It's where you get your identity, yourself, that your sense that everything is worthwhile. If I get these grades, then I know I'll be worth something. Then I know I'll really have made it. See, when, when that begins to happen, then soon, very soon, when things are going well, when you're making the grades, when you're completing the projects, when you're getting good reports, then you feel okay about yourself, yeah? Then, then you're, very, you're a happy person. You're a good person to be around. You know that you have value. You know you have purpose. You know you have meaning. But what you find is that more and more of your time is taken, is devoted to this thing. More and more, it defines you more and more and more, and it takes up more and more in your, of your time. It's, just, it's not just because there's a lot of work. It's because you're, you're bound up with this. It's, it's moved to the central place. And you're always thinking about study. You're always thinking about the next thing. The pressure that you feel is almost intolerable. And, and you see, it's, it's, um, it, it's this sense of, as long as I know I'm doing okay here, that, then life works itself out. Let me use another film reference that none of you will understand. Uh, there's this bit in Rocky. Um, I, you know, it's, they're great films. Um, where, where he's asked what he's doing. Because um, he's training, um, he's boxing, you know, and he's, he's just putting everything into being successful in this. And you know what he says? If, he says, if I can go the distance, I know, I'll, I, I know I'm not a bum. He says, he says, if only I can win in this fight, then I'll know I'm somebody and not nobody. Then I'll know I'm not just a worthless person to be kicked to the curb. If I can, if I can win in this, then I'll know I'm truly something. So many, pe- So many of you are there. When it, so, when it comes to kind of this, this sense of achievement, if I can do this, then I know I'm some, um, something. What does the gospel say? How does the gospel bring sense to this? Well, in the gospel, in Jesus, <laughs> in Jesus, you begin to find who you are that you're accepted, that you're loved, and that in Him, <laughs> there is nothing you could do to make Him more or less pleased. There are no grades that you could achieve to make Him smile on you more than He already does. In the gospel, look for for some of you, for some of you this afternoon, the most this this has become the most significant thing in your life. What happens? Let me ask you this question: What happens when you don't make the grade? Let me let me me ask that in a more concrete way: What happens for some of you when you didn't make the grade? What happens when you didn't get the place that you really were striving for at university? What happened when you exited out the other end and you didn't get what you needed to go on to do the next thing? I can tell you this for something. There is no sympathy from your grades. They are a cold, sterile piece of paper that no matter how compassionately you try to look at them, they stare back at you blankly. The black and white just looks at you in the face and it does nothing. When you don't get a place you know, here's what so many of you have found. It eats you up. You've realized that the thing that you followed, it's let you down. And it has no compassion. It has no sympathy. It demanded and you failed. But what if Jesus is your center? What if Jesus has been the one that you've built the whole of your life around? What happens then when you get, you get the results through and you realize you've not got what you want? Well, here's the wonderful thing. You realise <laughs> as some of you may be I'm speaking from bitter experience here, okay? When when you get the results, you get disappointed, but your world doesn't come crashing down. You need to rethink about things that you're gonna do. But the sense of who you are, the sense of what you are working for, the sense of what makes you the person you are hasn't been shaken. Why? Because you know who you are in Jesus. And when you know who you are in Jesus, you know how it transforms your attitude to work? It means you want to work well. It means you want to work diligently. It means you want to work hard. Why? Because Jesus is pleased when we work hard. But it means that we're not seeking to get from those things what only Jesus can give us. A sense of who we are. A sense of our place in this world. And you know what it means? It means you no longer need to think. You no, you no longer need to break out in a sweat every night when you think about your tutor. You know what I mean? When you think about how the questions they're going to ask you, when, when you didn't make the grade in the essay, when they come and say, okay, well, what's going on here? You don't need to sweat about that. Because you know what you can say? You can say, hey, look, honestly, honestly, even if you're disappointed with my essay, even if I fail to win your approval, I know there's one who does approve of me. I know there's one who does smile on me right now. I know there's one in whom I am safe no matter, no matter what the cold, white, sterile piece of paper says at the end. Because I know I'm rooted in somebody different. I know I'm rooted in something bigger. Do you know, I I honestly, I wish I could work this out in so many different areas with you. In relationships, in, in kind of how you view your own body, in all kinds of different things. When Jesus is where he should be, everything else can fall into the place where it should be. When you really know who you are because you know Jesus, then all the other things in your life can just be what they are. Relationships can be the glorious gift that he made them to be. Money can be what it was made to be. Possessions can be what they were made to be. Do you see all of these things can fall where they should be because Jesus is where he should be. Let me give you one more example. You know, you know all that joking I made just at the beginning about oh, you know what, what they're going to say when it comes to feedback for the speaker? Let, let, me, let me show you as honestly as I can how this works itself out in me. There is a temptation for me to leave this place and obtain a sense of worth and value in how well I think I've done today. In how well I've performed in my role as a minister. And there will be the sense that I will leave this place and, and I'll go i failed to meet that and I didn't do so well on that one. I think I could have been clearer there. I should have come in with an illustration at this point. And for every one good comment today, I will dwell. For every ten good comments, I will dwell on the one bad comment. And I'll go away and I'll think, yeah, but that person was that. They said that and they didn't say this. You know what I need to do every time I walk out of somewhere like this? I need to go out preaching to my own soul. I need to say, Gary, this is not what defines you. You can preach a stinker. And Jesus, you still love me. Jesus, I'm not walking out of here with you sitting on my shoulder saying, Do you know what, I'm not so good today. I'm not so, I'm, I'm not so fond of you today. Uh, you know, if, if you'd done a little bit better in talk number two, then, then we might have been all right today. That isn't how I leave this place. I leave this place knowing that my identity doesn't rest in how well I preach. It doesn't rest in how good a church I plant in Leeds. It doesn't rest in any one of these things I can achieve. It rests in who I am in Jesus. And I cannot tell you how freeing that is. Because it means you can move out into the rest of the world. You can move out knowing, knowing that no matter how many people you let down, no matter how many times you make a stuff up of the things that you're in, the one relationship that really matters, the one that can really define you, that remains safe because it was given to you as a gift in the first place. If it was by grace you were saved, if God came and he was the one who saved us, if he was willing to save his son, to send his son to save us, then that is the most weighty thing in our life. That's the most glorious. Um, there's this, uh, I, 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 need to, I need to bring that, we're going to go on all night otherwise, so I need to, I need to bring this um, just, just to a close here. Some of you are saying, well, look, how can I do this? How? I, I do want Jesus to be at the centre, but I don't know how to do it. I, I really don't. You know, I, it seems like I've tried so many different times. How is it that I can base my life on Jesus? You, know, you want to know the answer of Jesus? You lose yourself to find yourself. So, oh, it's always mystical. It's not mystical. It's a passage that was read to us from Luke. Luke chapter 9. Jesus says, you know... You lose yourself to find yourself. Let let me read it. This is one of those passages in the Bible that just blew my mind when I really understood what it was talking about. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what Jesus says. He says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus says you need to lose yourself to find yourself. How does that work? Here's how we make sense of this. The scholars will tell you that in Jewish literature, the kind of literature that we're reading here, the the two sentences often repeat the same kind of thing. And what you find is that verse 24 is actually the same as what Jesus has just said in verse 23. And in verse 23, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And when you understand that, you realize that what Jesus actually says in verse 24, as he says, lose your life to find it, is the same as taking up your cross and following him. What does that exactly mean? Well, when he talks about life in this verse, when Jesus says you're to lose your life in order to save your life, he doesn't mean physical life. He doesn't mean physical life. There There was a perfectly good word he could have used to describe that. There's a Greek word, bias where we get kind of biology from. Jesus doesn't use that word. The word Jesus uses is the word psyche. The word Jesus uses is the one that describes our inner life, our sense of who we are. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, your old identity, your old self has to be over. It has to die. And as your old self dies, then through me you get a new self and a true self. It's as your old self dies with what I can do that you get a new self. Isn't it, isn't it as if Jesus is talking directly to our culture? Isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? In our culture that says so much about how do you find yourself, here's what Jesus says. You can only find yourself. If, if you can only find, the only way to find yourself is through him. Because here's what you'll hear. In order to find yourself, then, then, you know, the place where you can find peace, where you'll be satisfied, where you'll be at rest. Like I said earlier, the, the place that we are told to go to truly find ourselves is to look deep enough within. But here's the problem. When you look deep within, when you find your deepest desires, you realize that half of the time they conflict one another. Yeah? Half of the time they, they check. You know, so many of us, we think our deepest desire is to be rich. And yet we realise actually our deepest desire is to work less. And you find that it's very impossible, it's almost impossible to get rich whilst working less. Which one of the two do you follow? You know, for, for some of you, you look in your deepest desire and, and you'll find out that, that they actually they, they conflict one another. There's, there's, a problem, there's a problem, first of all, if you look inside, which desire do you pursue? Which is the true one that you, you should pursue? And then here's the thing: here's what you find as you go through life. I'm 29 now, I'll be 30 this year. Um, my, dis- my deepest desires at this age are different to when they were when I was 19. The things I thought I really wanted when I was 19 are different to the things that now I really want as a 29-year-old. See, see they, they change your deepest desire changed the whole way through life. So, so how do you know when you're left floundering? Because for all of these years, you chased after what, was re- what you felt was your deepest desire, what was really within you. And then all of a sudden, you find 10 years later, it's changed. And you, your deepest desire is something else. No, 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 look, looking inside will never, never work. Here's what Jesus says. You only really find yourself as a byproduct of something else, as a byproduct of finding who he is. Jesus says you only really find yourself as you discover who he is. The only way to find yourself is to lose it by serving Jesus. That, you know what that means is? It means that we need to unbelieve everything we've heard. Because everything we've heard has told us that you will get your sense of self from the world as you look around. But look at what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, what good is it for man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? See what Jesus says. He says you can look to all of those things and you still won't discover who you are. You still won't discover the real person that you were made to be. Jesus says the only way you discover it is when you find him. When you find him, then you'll find who you really are. Because in Jesus, you find that relationship with God that you were made for. Now, look, at, let me tell you, for some of you, you know, when Jesus talks about death, you think that sounds painful. Dying to, this, dying to that altar doesn't that sound painful? Well, look, for some of you, there's some really painful heart work to be done. I've got to be honest. There's some painful heart. God is going to need to strip some stuff back. But here's what it's like. You've seen that you have read *The Voyage of the Dawn Treader*. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's that one. Um, and, uh, and there's a bit in it where Eustace. You remember Eustace, the, um, the fairly obnoxious. This is *Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe*. That's what I'm talking about here. Surely that's got to be a target reference. If not, then you just need to read some C.S. Lewis. *Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe*. And anyway, there's this bit in it uh, where, where Eustace. He's particularly obnoxious. He's a, he's a horrible boy. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a hoard of dragon treasure, and um, and, and Eustace falls asleep on the dragon treasure, and uh, and because his desire for this dra- his desires were so wrong, he wakes up and he's transformed into a dragon, um, which is awkward, and um, and so he, he wakes up as a dragon, and uh, and he's disgusted by what he finds. He's disgusted when he looks down and he sees himself. Um, he, he thinks, you know, where has myself? Where have I really gone? Where's Eustace gone? And he takes his dragon claws and he begins to rip away at the scales, and he tries to peel the scales back, but he can't ever go deep enough. And what happens is Aslan, Aslan, he's the figure who represents Jesus. Aslan comes and he looks at Eustace and he says, Your claws will never go deep enough, Eustace. Your claws will never go deep enough. And Eustace says, Well, what can I do to be free? And you know what Aslan does? He takes his lion claw and he inserts his claws and he rips away the skin. And as he tears away the skin of the dragon, the the skin falls off, and Eustace is revealed in the centre. Eustace is restored and returned. And when Eustace explains it back, he said, someone said, that Eustace, did it hurt? And he said, oh, oh, it hurt. But it was the only way the scales could go. Here's what I'm saying to some of you this afternoon. Some of you are scared because you think, I, how can I let go of some of these things? When Jesus comes in, sometimes as he reveals the things that your heart, your heart really is sound. Sometimes that process is painful, but there is no other way for the scales to be removed. There is no other way for you to be restored, for you to be saved, without Christ coming in in that way. And when he does, when he does, when your life is where it should be with him, it is the most glorious thing that you could have. To know who you are by knowing who he is, is the most glorious thing. We've finished with a challenge. For some of you, if you're not a Christian this morning, uh, this afternoon, then your, your, your orbit is out of whack. Okay, you might not know that yet, but there is a sense that I know that you have that you do know that. And for as long as you look to circle around other things, as long as you look to replace other things in the middle, you will always have that sense of things not being right. I am pleading with you. Try, you need to understand that you were created, that you're fallen, and that you're in need of rescue. It's the only way that you really understand who you are and your place in this world. For those of you who are Christians, some of you talk about Jesus, some of you talk about god some of you speak the right words and you do the right things but here's the reality you live the same as everybody else your life is really based who you are is based on the same things as everybody else and the worst thing with some of you is that you pray that god would fuel your idols you look to god to fuel the things that really drive you you end up praying prayers like god if you would just give me that job then i then i'll serve you better you know, God, if you would just give me this relationship, then, I can really, then, I'll, then I'll really serve you. And you're surprised when God turns around and says, you think I'm going to fuel your idols? I'm not going to give you those things. What I'm saying to you is some of you need to understand. Some of you need to understand the claws need to go in and strip away the scales. That you will only ever find yourself as you lose yourself and follow Jesus. Truly follow him. Truly build on him. Throw everything on him. Some of you think it's a risk. It's not. Throw everything on him. And let me say as well, some of you here are struggling and you're thinking, you know what, this seems like, seems like this takes a long time. It does. It does. Uh, kind of 10 years ago, I thought I was quite far down the line. 10 years on, I realized I've, I've barely found the line. This is a good, gracious process where God continues to wean our hearts from the things they've been hooked on. As we become more and more taken up with Jesus. I want to encourage you. This is, a, this is a process. God is at work. What he starts, he finishes. God is at work in many of your hearts. What he starts, he finishes. He makes that promise. Don't be discouraged. Use this as another step. Use this as another step to go forward on the road. You see, until you see yourself in God's story, until you see yourself as fallen, as created, as fallen, but then as a rescued person, you will never really understand who you are in this world. But when you do, when, you re- when you're restored by knowing who Jesus is, when he goes right there at the center, then you can enjoy creation because you know the creator. Then relationships can be what they're supposed to be. Grades can be what they're supposed to be. Cars and houses and jobs and career- All of those things can go where they should because Jesus is in the place where he should. Some of you want to live passionately for Jesus. Some of you wanna, you, you want to give your life, you want to burn brightly for him. You will not until you understand who you are in him. Until you understand who you are in him. The, the tagline of this conference is what is it? Live passionately for Jesus or inspiring a generation You will live passionately for Jesus. You will not do that. I'm sure it's catchier than the way I've just said it. You will not do that until you understand first who you are in Jesus. Your identity rooted in the gospel. Created, fallen, rescued. Do you know who you are?